0: Hi, everyone. This is Danae Cox. I'm an OT studying for the CHT exam. Um, Today, I'm going to be going over Chapter 21, uh, focused on the shoulder. This is in the Purple Book of Hand and Upper Extremity Rehab, the fourth edition. Um, If you have listened to my podcast, it's very important to know that I do not go over every question. I simply just go over my notes um, that I make throughout the chapter, which is not complete. It's really just things that I feel like I need to hear again or to um, study. So I hope that this helps you, but um, it does not substitute any self-learning. And I strongly um, recommend getting the purple book as well as Rehab of the Hand because I really feel like Um, This is very uh, comprehensive and helpful. So anyways, um, like I said, today's topic is the shoulder. And you will find that uh, this is probably going to be one of the longer podcasts. If you're anything like me, um, in our clinic, we just don't see the shoulder as much. Uh, We have a lot of PTs that treat them. So I felt that a lot of this information I really needed to review. So the first thing I'm going to do is um, talk about a little bit of anatomy. And so we're going to start with the serratus anterior. The serratus anterior originates from the ribs one through nine and inserts along the medial border of the scapula. The long thoracic nerve innervates the serratus. So um, this is nerve roots C5, C6, and C7. When an injury occurs to the long thoracic nerve, scapula winging will be present due to weakness of the serratus. So a good way to remember this um, for the long thoracic nerve is 567 wings to heaven. So wings being scapula winging, and then 567 being the nerve roots that innervate the long thoracic nerve. The rotator cuff muscles, uh, you can use the acronym SITS, S for supraspinatus, I for infraspinatus, T for teres minor, and S subscapularis. The supraspinatus performs shoulder abduction, particularly the first 30 degrees, and the supraspinatus is most commonly associated with impingement. The infraspinatus performs external rotation and the teres minor also performs external rotation, but um, this is with the shoulder abducted to 90 degrees. The subscapularis is the internal rotator and it's the most powerful and largest of the rotator cuff muscles. Primary shoulder extensors Uh, Those muscles include the deltoid, the teres major, and the latissimus dorsi. The primary scapula retractors is going to be your rhomboids, um, which are innervated by the dorsal scapular nerve derived from C4 and C5 nerve root. The dorsal scapular nerve also innervates the levator scapulae which is a scapula elevator. So again, the primary scapula retractors are the rhomboids, which are innervated by the dorsal scapular nerve derived from C4 and C5 nerve root. The dorsal scapular nerve also innervates the levator scapulae, which is a scapula elevator. The teres major adducts and internal rotates the shoulder. The teres major is innervated by the lower subscapular nerve and the posterior cord C5, C6 nerve roots. So uh, speaking of nerves, we're gonna continue with that. The axillary nerve innervates the deltoid and Terry's minor muscle. The axillary nerve um, is derived from the C5, C6 nerve root in the posterior cord and travels through the quadrangular space behind the clavicle. The axillary nerve is susceptible to trauma from fractures to the proximal humerus. So um, remember the radial nerve is susceptible to injury with a mid-shaft humeral fracture, but the axillary nerve is susceptible to trauma from fractures to the proximal humerus. Uh, The dorsal scapular nerve, we already talked about this. It innervates the rhomboid major and minor as well as the levator scapula. And this is nerve roots C4 and C5. The thoracodorsal nerve innervates the latissimus dorsi and the posterior cord. The accessory nerve innervates the trapezius. So um, one way that I learned this or thought about it was that um, whenever you are holding your purse or a backpack on one shoulder, you're going to... um, Elevate the trapezius to kind of um, stabilize it. And so I count that um, backpack as a purse as an accessory. So if you think of it that way, um, that might help you remember that the accessory nerve innervates the trapezius. The musculotaneous nerve innervates the coracobrachialis, the brachialis, and the biceps. The musculotaneous nerve um, is innervated by C6, C5 and C6 nerve root. This is in the upper trunk and the lateral cord. So if a patient has an injury to the musculotaneous nerve, they are gonna have trouble with elbow flexion. The subscapular nerve innervates the subscapularis, and the teres major. The subscapular nerve derives, uh, or is innervated by C5, C6 nerve roots, which is in the posterior cord. The radial nerve innervates the enconeus, the triceps, and all of the extensors. The suprascapular nerve innervates the supraspinatus, and infraspinatus, and the suprascapular nerve is derived from C5, C6 nerve roots in the upper trunk. The coracoclavicular ligament is a major support of the acromioclavicular joint, the AC joint. It is the only structure that suspends the scapula from the clavicle. So um, again, the coracoclavicular ligament is the major support for the AC joint and is the only structure that suspends the scapula from the clavicle. The coracobrachialis, the origin is at the coracoid process. The insertion is the midhumerus. The coracobrachialis is innervated by the musculotaneous nerve from the lateral cord. The function of the coracobrachialis is shoulder flexion and adduction. Shoulder abduction is performed by the deltoid and the supraspinatus. Injury to the suprascapular nerve and the axillary nerve would inhibit shoulder abduction. The acromion shapes, you have type one through type four. I think the major thing to remember here is not necessarily every single shape but that type two and three are commonly cause, um, they commonly cause the rotator cuff tears because the impingement that the curve or hook will lead to degeneration and tearing of the rotator cuff. 70% of rotator cuff tears are with type three acromium shape. If you're curious about the types of the acromium shapes, Type 1 is flat, type 2 is curved, type 3 is curved and hooked, and type 4 is convex or turned up. This is very rare. So something that I found interesting and kind of cool to remember is that um, the numbers kind of uh, go along with the description of the clavicle. So the number 1 is flat, a number 2 has a curve, The number three has a curve and the bottom, you can count as a hook. And then number four is just all mixed up. So this is gonna be your convex or turned up um, acromion. uh, For rotator cuff arthropathy, this is a degenerative condition in which the torn rotator cuff allows the humeral head to migrate superiorly An arthrosis develops if a patient undergoes an arthroscopy, with an acromioplasty and a mini-open repair. um, This is uh, the mini-open repair is necessary to repair the tear, and it is required for the supraspinatus tears that are greater than fifty percent. Post-op of an arthroscopy with a acromioplasty and mini open repair um, is immobilized for three to six weeks. If the deltoid was removed and reattached, then the patient will be immobilized for six weeks. No active range of motion is performed during this time, passive range of motion only. If the surgeon completes an arthroscopic debridement only, then gentle active range of motion can begin immediately. The differences between a mini open rotator cuff repair or a full open repair are as follows. The mini open rotator cuff repair involves splitting the deltoid. So the OT can begin active and active assist range of motion immediately post-op. But a full open rotator cuff repair involves deltoid detachment and reattachment. So the post-op rehab for small to medium rotator cuff repairs include the first zero to six weeks, only passive range of motion, pain management, pendulum exercises, elbow range of motion, and modalities. At six weeks, the patient can begin active range of motion. And of course, protocols are going to vary uh, per surgeon. Uh, If you're treating rotator cuff tendinitis and impingement for conservative management, you want to strengthen the rotator cuff, the deltoid, and the subscapulothoracic stabilizers while stretching the pec minor. The scapulothoracic stabilizers include the serratus anterior, rhomboids, trapezius, and levator scapulae. Stretching the pec minor is important because tightness will cause scapular protraction, therefore increasing impingement. A force couple is two forces of equal magnitude that work in opposite directions to produce rotation on a body. So an example of a force couple is the levator scapula and upper traps and lower traps, as well as the serratus anterior. They perform a smooth rhythmic motion to rotate and protract the scapula during elevation of the arm. Another example of a force couple is the rotator cuff and the deltoid in the glenohumeral joint. Internal impingement. uh, Pain in the rotator cuff, typically seen with overhead throwing athletes. Internal impingement occurs when the arm is in maximal external rotation The infraspinatus is compressed between the posterior superior glenoid rim and the humeral head. A sick scapula, S-I-C-K is an acronym for scapula, infera, coracoid, dyskinesia, sick scapula. What this is, is a muscle overuse fatigue syndrome common in athletes. The signs and symptoms include that the scapula drops or is lower than the non-dominant scapula. The scapula is protracted compared to the non-dominant scapula. And the scapula displays increased abduction compared to the non-dominant scapula. So again, for a sick scapula, you're going to see the scapula positioned um, lower, protracted, and increased abduction compared to the non-dominant scapula. Subacromial injection can be used to differentiate pain etiology. This is where an analgesic and corticosteroid is injected in the subacromial space. If the pain is relieved, then it will confirm there is a shoulder pathology causing the pain. If the pain is not relieved, then it may be referred cervical pain. So there are are a lot of special tests for the shoulder. And what I did was I put them um, in order uh, about um, what you're testing. So for the subscapularis test, Remember that the subscapularis performs internal rotation, so this is going to include your liftoff test, your Napoleon, which is also known as the belly press test, and the bear hug test. The liftoff test includes placing the dorsal aspect of the hand on the lower back and lift it away. If the patient cannot remove the hand from the back or only partially, then it is positive. The Napoleon or the belly press test is just what it says. You have the patient press into the belly and an inability to bring the elbow anteriorly with the hand pressed against the belly will be positive. The last subscapularis test is a bear hug test. The patient's hand is placed on her opposite shoulder and the OT tries to lift the patient's wrist while the patient resists. The bear hug test is positive if weakness or pain is present. For the supraspinatus test, uh, remember the supraspinatus performs shoulder abduction, so you can perform a Whipple test. A Whipple test is where the arm is elevated to 90 degrees, the elbow straight and the forearm pronated. The therapist presses down on the upper arm while the patient resists. A positive Whipple test is if pain is elicited. And again, this is testing the supraspinatus. The infraspinatus performs external rotation. An assessment for the infraspinatus is the drop arm test. This is where the patient's arm is passively placed at 90 degrees abduction in full external rotation. The patient is instructed to maintain the position when the wrist is let go by the therapist. The drop arm test is positive if the patient is unable to hold the position, and you want to measure the amount of drop. For bicipital tendonitis, you can perform a speed test. The speed test is where the patient is placed with shoulder flexion to 90 degrees, the elbow straight, and the forearm supinated. The therapist presses down on the upper arm while the patient resists. A positive speed test is if there is pain elicited, and this could mean bicipital tendonitis. So this makes sense because essentially you're manual muscle testing the biceps. For shoulder instability, there's several tests. You have the apprehension test for anterior instability, the job relocation test for anterior instability, the load and shift test for anterior and posterior instability, and the sulcus test for inferior instability. And you can find what these actual tests are in the book. A good way to know these is um, that with shoulder instability, if you think about apprehension or job relocation, load and shift and sulcus, they're all indicating some kind of instability. So that's pretty easy um, to identify in a multiple choice question. For shoulder impingement, you have your common tests such as Hawkins Kennedy, Nears, and the Jobes test, which is also known as an empty can test. The posterior subluxation of the glenoid humeral joint. To test for this, you can do the jonky test. The jonky test reproduces posterior